praise God. Well, I get the second session, so um, I'm excited. I, I love the combination of these two classes because you'll notice as we go through the six lessons how the content kind of interweaves, and you'll get more uh, concept and principle teaching in that class, and in this class you'll hear more about the stories and, the, and applying the book of Acts in ways that tie in really nicely with the life of Christ too. So um, I always enjoy the, the mixing of the content here. But we're going to kind of switch perspectives a little bit to kind of go through the stories of the book of Acts. Um, and I would challenge those of you who have heard the content maybe hundreds or hundreds of times, uh, I believe that God can and will give you new things as we go through this content um, again and hopefully pull things out for you and apply them in a fresh way. For those of you that this is your first time, get ready. It's a great book, uh, great content, and I believe that it will stick with you. Um, I've said this a couple of times in the class, in various lessons, and I firmly believe this. Um, If you read the book of Acts and the stories and the principles that are found there, uh, and you look and compare that, the the, the setting of the book of Acts, the world that it was the, they were placed in, um, it's, it's becoming more and more uh, comparable to the world that we live in today. Uh, the, the setting of the book of Acts, they were under a very tough Roman rule. Uh, things were not in a good place in their world. It was very difficult, very challenging, and they were not um, beloved community um, so they went through a lot of things, and they suffered a lot, but you can see how they overcame that and how they still continue to be the church. And I believe with all my heart, this book is going to become more and more relevant to us as the days go on because the world that we're living in and going toward is going to match very closely to what they live through, and we can look to their example on how to navigate the challenging times um, that we're in. Um, it's very relevant to us, and um, let's kind of explore that a little bit, which we're going to get into it, and then we're going to kind of take a step back into some of the gospel stories, but it'll set up nicely. Um, so, the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Uh, oh, I forgot. I was going to do this. Brother Bray inspired me. This does have a book. This class does have a book. Um, Church History 1 is the book that we'll be going through. Um, if you have the book with you, I see a book. You get extra credit in, in my book for having... Yeah, I love it. Yes. I'm so excited. Um, I will be teaching from it, just not like directly, sort of. Um, so you'll be able to follow along. There are some things that I've kind of thrown in here um, along the way, but we are going through the book, so I encourage you to get it, read it, answer the questions. It's a great book. So Church History 1 is the class that you're in right now. All right? So... The book of Acts is the church history book in our Bible. Um, If you are aware with the arrangement of the Bible, we do not have a chronologically arranged Bible. It is topical. So you'll find the Bible divided up into history, into the Gospels, into letters, um, and then you've kind of got the book of Acts kind of sandwiched in between the Gospels and the letters um, because it is unique in that it is a history book of the book of Acts church. Uh, the early church that, that came just after Jesus died and was resurrected and went up into heaven. And so, for those 
of you that don't know, the book of Acts was, lit, was written by Luke. Um, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and you can almost consider them part one and part two uh, of, a, of this account that he's writing of Jesus and then his apostles. Um, they are written to the same person. If you read the opening of each book, uh, they are written to this somebody named Theophilus. Don't know who he was or she was. I have no idea. Um, did some studying, could not really find much on Theophilus, but apparently they were important enough that Luke felt the need to go to all this work to write an account uh, to be forever etched in history. And if you don't, if you don't stop and think about it, uh, I know I didn't up until a little while back, uh, Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. He was not. He was a physician. He was somebody that came along afterwards and gathered eyewitness testimony and stories and accounts of people who had seen Jesus, who had been with Jesus, and then put it all together into this book, uh, Luke and then Acts. And then he writes this whole account to Theophilus and sends it to him. And because of Luke's work and diligence and precision in his historical gatherings, um, we have a very, very accurate account of what actually happened. Um, The book of Luke and Acts... Uh, historians have tried to dispute it for a long time and have yet to do so. In fact, it becomes more and more obvious that Luke was a masterful historian um, as well as a physician and a follower of Jesus. So his, his accounts are very trustworthy as far as historical accounts go. So if you dig into that and you, you're interested in the historical side of it, you'll find that this is a very, very, very accurate account and... Um, archaeologists continue to find things that prove Luke's assertions in his book um, that people have long believed to be, oh, that place didn't exist or that person didn't really exist. Well, it turns out Luke was right. So if you're in, if you, I found that some people come at truth and scripture from that perspective and often have doubts and questions because, well, the Bible isn't accurate because of, his, because of this or that. Um, take whatever perspective you want, scientific, historical, um, you're going to find out the Bible's true. If you do enough research and you dig in, you'll find out it's, it's, it's absolutely 100% true. Um, and Luke's accounts are, are one of the examples of that. And so we can trust what he has to say. He was not one of the 12, but the precision by which he gathered this information and compiled it, um, the eyewitness accounts, it, it's, some call it the most beautiful book ever written, um, the Gospel of Luke. And Acts is really part two. So, what was the purpose of these Gospels? So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, again, Luke, who was the author of Luke, uh, says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The former letter, the former account, Theophilus, I wrote of all that Jesus, Jesus began to do and teach. That was his purpose. He wanted to compile this account um, for uh, of what Jesus did. And so what he's doing with Acts, he says, he says then is taking the doctrine, the things that Jesus taught these 12, and writing the account of what they did with that, te- with that teaching. So it's a continuation of Jesus' ministry, but through his disciples, those he taught and trained. And so you can see the connection. If you go back and forth, um, they are meant to be an account for us in our example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. These things were written for our example. 
So the book of Acts is meant to be more than just an account. It's meant to be an example for us today because we are the church. Amen? We are the church. We are a continuation of this church. And so what they did, how they did it, um, the principles by which they lived are very, very applicable to us today. So I pray that you, you, you look at it with that mindset and think, what can I pull out of this and then turn around and live in my own life? So that's the purpose. That's what Acts is, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, one more thing about that. I know it's a long intro to the book of Acts, but you notice it's the Acts of the Apostles. So now someone tell me if you know. I'm assuming you, you, will, you will know if once I say it. What's, who is the second half of Acts focused on? Whose ministry? Paul. Paul. Was Paul one of the twelve? He was not. But he was still an apostle. He had the ministry of the, an apostle. He, he did the work of an apostle. And so he's included in the book of Acts of the apostles because he was an apostle just like Peter, who is also who's kind of the primary focus of the first half. Paul's the primary focus of the second half. Insert plug for church history too, maybe next year, um, for the second half of Acts. But So take that away too. It's not just about the 12. It's also about Paul the apostle and some of the others that were apostles as well. So let's, we started with Acts 1.1. Let's rewind a little bit. Um, so everyone in here knows the name of Judas, right? Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. That's how, how he's etched in history as that's, that's what he's known by. Um, Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus to be a follower. Um, he was with him for three years plus. Uh, we don't have an account of every apostle that, or disciple that Jesus chose. We don't have the exact account, so we don't know exactly when. But Judas was part of the 12. And so Judas comes to a point uh, where he makes a decision that he's forever known by, and that is betraying Jesus. Um, and in, in kind of in studying for this, again, um, I, I like to go back through the content and just really try to pull things out again. I really got stuck on Judas a little bit um, because I wouldn't say he gets a bad rap, but I think we, we put him in a category that we are unable to identify with or relate to because what he did is so egregious to us. Um, and it is. It, there's no, what he did is, agree, it's awful. But it was God-ordained, but it was still his choice, okay? Judas chose to give up his place in the kingdom. It was not, God did not make him do it. Just because it was fulfilling scripture did not mean God made him do it, okay? So Judas has this moment, this, this period of time, and I don't know if he got discouraged because he had expectations for the Messiah to be this person, this, this ruler, this leader, uh, and Jesus wasn't living up to that. I don't know if he had other expectations that, or hurt or offense that came from Jesus or from the Twelve. I don't know. But what I do know is that he whatever it was, opened a door for him that brought temptation to the front, where he, to the point where he could no longer resist the temptation. And he, 
he took the money from the, the religious leaders who were trying to bribe him to give them an opportunity to take him. And Jesus, Judas was the one who handled the money. If you look, it says he was the one who handled the purse. Um, and so G, Judas had a weakness. He had a weakness. Um, and the enemy exploited that weakness for the purpose that he was trying to, to fulfill. But, but is Judas someone that we can relate to? I think so. Because the problem with Judas was he had a weakness in his flesh that was taken advantage of. And there's often times that we overestimate or maybe underestimate our flesh. And, and one thing that I, I think about is Judas was so close to Jesus. Every day was with, with, was with Jesus. But yet still did this. And so for us, we must never allow ourselves to think we are immune to temptation just because we're close to Jesus. You can never take that for granted. You could be in the Spirit praying and just walking with God for months, and then you make a couple decisions here, something gets in here, an offense, a grudge, something disappoints you there, boom, you are off the rails. And you do things you never thought you'd do. And so we can't allow ourselves to think we are immune to temptation just because we're walking with Jesus. We can't do it. And so Judas, unfortunately, he, he realized what he did. He tried to make right in his own way. He didn't go and repent to Jesus. He went to the leaders and tried to undo what he did. And so his, he had sorrow. The Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance but the worldly sorrow leads to death. Where did Judas' sorrow lead him? Not back to Jesus. It led him to death because he went to the wrong place. He didn't repent, and he didn't, he didn't actually go and try to connect with his Savior and say, God, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. I screwed up. I don't know what would have happened if he did that. Think about Peter. What happened with Peter? Not shortly after. He denied Jesus, and he had sorrow. And he wept, but where did his sorrow eventually lead him back to? Back to Jesus. And he got his place in the kingdom back. Judas did not. And so Judas is somebody that I think if you, if you take some time to study, you'll find you might be able to relate to him a little bit more and, and let God show you that we all have weaknesses. We all have what, what I call entry points that the enemy can get into and, and the things that we have opportunities the enemy can get in and, and get control and, and lead us down a path we don't want to go. And so don't ever think, again, you're immune to that just because you're walking with Jesus and you have a relationship with God. We are all subject to temptation. So Judas leaves. He commits suicide. So now there's, a, there's an opening on the team, so to speak, right? So you have these, the 11... And Peter stands up in Acts, early in Acts, and he says, uh, we gotta, we got to fill this place, right? And he quotes from the book of Psalms. In fact, he quotes from a, from a couple different places in the book of Psalms. In Acts chapter 1, verses 20, verse 20, it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. And so lots, lots are cast, um, and it's between two, 
two men who have been with them the whole time, who were there since the baptism of John, who have walked with Jesus. And they're there. They were there the whole time. They weren't one of the twelve, but they were there. And so when it came time for, their, for Matthias to step up in, into that place of leadership, he was there. It was ready. And so he didn't wait until there was an opportunity for leadership role to then start following God and doing what was right. He was there the whole time, and he just waited until his opportunity came and he stepped right into it. God just put him right where he needed to be, but he had been there the whole time with everybody else. So he was involved, he was connected, he was with Jesus, and when the time came, he was put into a place of honor and leadership. Um, so we, we don't know much about him after that. There are, there are his, there's historical um, accounts of him and Andrew doing, you know, going some places in ministry. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, we don't really know much about the ministry of a lot of the disciples, the apostles. We don't have the, the accounts like we do of Peter and Paul and Philip and, and some of these others. So it doesn't mean that they weren't effective and they weren't involved in the kingdom. And just because their names weren't called out in Scripture does not mean they didn't fulfill their place in ministry. Right? So... We must understand just because we may not get public uh, acknowledgement and uh, put a, you know a book wrote about us doesn't mean we're not fulfilling our place in ministry. And so some of these guys like Matthias and Andrew, they were just as valuable in Jesus' eyes, and um, they're going to be part of the foundations of heaven. That their place didn't get taken away. They're they're there, and so Matthias is one of those that steps in and becomes and takes the place uh, of Judas among the twelve. So, let's, let's talk about prophecy, all right? So, there's prophecy about, so we're in the early part of Acts, right? Jesus has ascended, the, the, the apostles are here, they're, they're working things out, and there's a promise that was made when Jesus ascended. <clears throat> he said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Wait. It's coming. Go. Wait. And so this was getting right up to the point where a fulfillment of what had been prophesied all throughout Scripture um, was going to take place. And so there's you have in the Old Testament, you have a lot of stories of prophets that had the Holy Ghost move upon them or, or kind of move on them or speaking through them for a particular time and a particular reason. But the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, was not yet inside of them because the time had not come. He was talking about types and shadows and progressive revelation and, and learning things. The Old Testament, it got clearer and clearer. Um, he was on them, but not in them. Okay? And if you think about what's the difference? What's the difference? You have a, a prophet of God who's speaking great things, who's proclaiming the kingdom, who's mightily used of God. But if you look at the Old Testament, we have thousands of years of examples of how even though they had the Spirit of God upon them, they struggled to live according to God's law, and they could not keep it. They could not live out the law of God. They were used by God, but they were not empowered by God in living out His Word. And so the difference, if you look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament, is the New Testament, we begin to see examples. Once the Spirit of God comes inside of us, He then empowers us to then do 
what he has commanded us to do. And so when you look at somebody and you want to know the difference between somebody who's may the spirit of God may rest upon them or be with them versus someone who is filled with the Holy Ghost, look at how they live their life. Look at what they do. Look at how they act. Look at what they say. You'll become, it'll become very clear who is living by the word of God and who is not. Because in our flesh, without God inside of us, helping us, we struggle a lot. A lot. I don't know about you, but with, if I'm not walking with God and letting him help me, I struggle a lot. And so when you, if you want to know the difference between somebody who is filled with the Spirit and someone who is not, look at how they live. Look at how they talk. Do they sound like Jesus? Do they walk like Jesus? Do they obey his word? Like he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we, we were, it was prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. He says, a new heart also will I give you, an interchange, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take out away the stony heart of, out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, listen to this, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. When I put my spirit in you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Now, what's, what's the New, New Testament equivalent to this verse? Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is only by the Spirit inside of us and the grace of God working through us that we can do anything that makes him happy or pleases him. That's it. Anything else is a futile attempt. And so we must have this Spirit inside of us to empower us to do these things. And so long before this was available, it was prophesied. Um, another, other examples, and I'm going to kind of reference these and move past them, is Isaiah 44, 3, Joel 2, 28, 29. And these are in your book too. So if you, if you want to go back and study these, these are there in your book. But they were pointing to a future time to come, not a time that had been fulfilled yet. It was looking ahead. And so fast forward a couple hundred, a couple thousand years, uh, we get to New Testament prophecies. How many of you know there were New Testament prophecies about the, the Spirit coming? And I will pause and say, Brother Bray is right. Technically, they were still Old Testament, but they are in the Gospels, so intertestamental. Um, but they were John the Baptist and Jesus. So in this period where there's the, the introduction of the New Testament, there's prophecy about what is to come. Matthew 3.11 says, this is John speaking, I indeed baptize you with water, unto repentance. But he that comes after me, future time, future tense, is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. John says it's coming. There is somebody coming that's going to do something greater than me. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And just because it was a much shorter period of time does not mean it wasn't a prophecy. It was foretelling what was to come. And Promises of Jesus um, concerning the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Ghost, John 14, 16 through 18 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. Jesus is talking about himself. He dwelleth with you. He's here with you right now. 
and shall be in you. Then he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Not a separate spirit, not a separate helper. I am coming back to help you. I will not leave you comfortless. Jesus didn't say, I'm dying. I'm out of here. Someone else is going to come help you and clean up the mess and like help you from this point forward. No, he says, I will come to you. I will help you. And that's the love of God. That's, that's the love of Christ saying, I'm not going to leave you to do this on your own like, I ha- like they've had to deal with all, these, all this time. Something is coming. Something is changing. I will be with you. I will help you. I will take your hand and show you how to walk in what I'm telling you to do. The doctrines of Christ. The teachings of Christ. The only way we live those out is with him helping us. So John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. It's kind of like, uh, I was reading this and I thought of, is it Batman or Superman? It's like, I'm not saying I'm Batman, but you've never seen me and Batman in the same room together. Just saying. You know, like, Jesus is like, you know, I'm, I can't, like, the Comforter can't come till I leave because I'm the Comforter. But, like, so we can't both be at the same time, you know? So, like, he's, I, I, I have to go away. I have to leave. I have to go away in this form and come back to you in a greater expressions to help you. I, ha- I have to. This has to happen before I can do this. I have to ascend before I can come back, right? Name and Batman, not in the same room. All right, Acts chapter 1. Um, I'll just read verse 8. It says, But you shall, receive, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So again, this is, I mean, this is like really, really close. This is days before it happens. But he's still assuring them, still telling them, it's coming, it's coming, go, wait. It's here, it's almost here. Your help is almost here and there's going to be more for you just short term. It's, it's coming. And the beautiful part about all of this and, and kind of the, the awe-inspiring, if you will, or, or I should say it this way, we shouldn't take that for granted, this, this, this gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Because Hebrews 11 talks about, I mean, if you read your Old Testament, there are some awesome stories in there. Awesome stories, awesome Men and women of God, awesome examples, great stories. Take, it, take some time and read through them. But men like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these examples, faith in God, promises, blessings, all this stuff. Yet Hebrews 11 says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided something, some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. They didn't get it, but you get to have it. Treasure it. Value it. Look at it like it's the most precious thing in the world to you, because they wanted it. They longed for it, but they couldn't get it. It wasn't time. It wasn't time. It's time for us. 
We can have it. We can experience this. We can walk in it. So treasure it. Value it. Realize the gift that we have been given. This beautiful gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we have to realize this spirit is what makes us different. This spirit is what makes us unique. And this is what God is the one who empowers us to do what's right and live differently than those around us. Again, how do you tell the difference between somebody who's not filled with the Spirit versus someone that does? Look at how they live. We are walking epistles. We're walking letters. We are testaments of what God can do in a human life. That's what we are. And it is by the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 and 4 says there is one Spirit, right? There's not multiple spirits. There's one Spirit. God is that Spirit. Jesus Christ is that spirit living inside of us. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, the comforter. He is the comforter. So last, last section here, um, as we get closer and closer to the, the events of Acts chapter 2, which we'll get more into next week, um, there's, there's something I, I want to I take a few minutes on. I want you guys to really think about this and and let this settle in. It really kind of blew my mind when I saw it and considered the implications of it. Um, and it comes from the book, of, back in the book of Luke, chapter 24. So we have Jesus. Obviously, he was crucified. He died and was resurrected. Um, and he didn't just go straight from the grave to heaven and disappear. He, he was on the earth for 40 more days, a month and a half. It's a long time. I mean, in, you know, with a dead person walking around, right? Not really. But he was on the earth for 40 more days. And so... Actually, I want to read the first three verses of Acts before I get to Luke 24. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom, the apostles, he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Think of Thomas, right? Proofs, affirmations. This is, I'm back, and here's proof. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the, of the, things, of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So let's, let's jump to Luke 24 where we get a little bit of insight into this conversation or one of the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples after he was resurrected and was walking around on earth. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44 through 45 says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. I'm going to pause there. The law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, those were the three major divisions of the, the Bible, the Old Testament, that, that they saw. It was, that was the whole, the whole part of the law. So when he says the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms, he's talking about everything, the whole part. 
not just what we think of when we think of the five books, Psalms, and then the prophets. We don't skip Ruth. We don't skip, like, we don't skip all those other books. Um, the whole law. Verse 45, it says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. What did he open their understanding to? What was he revealing to them? And why now? Wasn't he just with them for three and a half years? Wasn't he just teaching them for three and a half years? So what's so different about these 40 days versus those three and a half years? And if, if, you, if you really think about it, and you really, you, you really kind of ponder that, you gotta, there's something that I, had, I struggled, I don't say I struggled with, but I always wonder how hard-headed the disciples were. <laughs> like, seriously. I mean, you read through what Jesus says to them, and from our perspective, looking back, we're like, of course, that's what he meant, that's what he meant. I mean, that's all so clear to us. How on earth did they miss it so bad? Like, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, he's like, really? You thought it's not about Israel. Like, what I'm doing is so much bigger than that. And, and there's just examples of, of him saying what's going to happen, and they just, they're surprised. I mean, when he gets taken away, they scatter. They're not like, yeah, this is the moment. Like, this is what he was talking about. They didn't rally the troops and, like, follow him, like, this is it. This, he said this was going to happen exactly how... He, no, they scattered. Peter was discouraged. I mean, all of this, and you're like, what? He said the Son of Man's going to go and be crucified and rise again in three days. Like, you're, why aren't you looking at your watches? Count, okay, 72 hours, here we go. Right? Like, from our perspective, we would be, you would think, we'd be sitting there like, all right, cool. This is exactly what was going to happen. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They knew who he was. He was the Messiah. He was, the, he was their answer. That's why they were following him. But they misunderstood his mission and his purpose. And they misunderstood the sequence of events that were going to take place to get to that point of glory. They didn't realize the suffering. They didn't understand the crucifixion. They didn't get, like, this is how... This is how I am glorified as the Messiah and my kingdom comes into manifestation. They knew his kingdom was coming. They knew he was going to be glorified and manifested as king. But in their minds, it was way different than that. And so now, after they've gone through this process of, our Messiah is dead. Like, he's gone. And then he comes back and they're like, you're alive, you're here. There are things that at that point, because they now, they encountered the risen Christ, then he was able to say, now you remember all of those things I was telling you would happen? Now do you understand? Now let me take you back through all the scriptures I was telling you about before. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. Let me, show, let me talk to you about that again. And he begins to unfold the picture of himself in the scriptures they had been looking at the whole time. And he had been talking about them the whole time. But there are things you will never understand 
until you encounter the risen Christ. You'll never understand them. You won't get them. You can't, you can't see them. You can't enter into that kingdom and see it. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to describe a place to somebody that you've been, but they've never been? You ever tried that? And like, you can see it in your mind. You can see all the cool stuff and the places, and you're like, this place is amazing. Like, there's this and that. And somebody's like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Do you have a picture, a video? Like, let me see it. I can't, I can't get there. I can't, they, you kind of get what they're saying. You understand the words that are coming out of their mouth, but you can't picture it. You can't see it. But then, if you go, everything they said makes sense because you see it for yourself. You see it, and you're like, oh, that's what you were talking about. That, I remember that ride you were talking about, that, that roller coaster. That was so awesome. I see it. I wrote it. You are so right. And there's just this understanding that comes because you've been there and you've seen it. And so now Jesus is saying, now do you see me? Now let me show you. Now that you've seen me, let me show you all the things that pointed to me this whole time. And now everything I told you before now makes a lot more sense. They saw, they encountered the risen Christ and everything changed. Their understanding their confidence, their level of boldness, their everything. And the only difference was, the only difference between, Brother Bart talked about, um, what do you talk Peter before and after, basically, right? The difference was they encountered the risen Christ. And for us, there are things we will never understand and get about God until we encounter the risen Christ, and that risen Christ lives inside of us, we can then, John 3, see the kingdom, and we get it. We understand it because we see it for ourselves. But if before that point, all you can do is listen to someone describe it to you, but you just can't quite get there until he reveals your understanding or reveals it to you. I want to read one last, I want to read a commentary on this verse that I think is just so powerful and a couple other things, and we'll wrap up for this evening. So Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary on the phrase, then opened he, in verse 25, or 45 of Luke 24. It says, then opened he, a statement of unspeakable value, expressing, on the one hand, Christ's immediate access to the human spirit and absolute power over it to the adjustment of its vision and permanent rectification for spiritual discernment, than which it is impossible to, impossible to conceive a stronger evidence of his proper divinity. And on the other hand, get this, making it certain that the manner of interpreting the Old Testament, which the apostles afterward employed, see the Acts and Epistles, has the direct sanctification of Christ himself. Their understanding of the scriptures, the Old Testament, and how they applied them came directly from Christ himself because he is the one that opened their understanding to them in the first place. And he explained it to them. And so what they did, how they did it, what they said was all based on the culmination in that 40 days 
all of it. Them being able to take his teachings and then proclaim them in a New Testament doctrine that was so foreign to the Jews, and they didn't get it. Where do you think they got that revelation? It was in those 40 days when he opened their understanding to the kingdom of God and how that kingdom is now here manifested in the earth and how it is to be expanded. He showed them how to do it. And so because he's the one who showed them, he had the direct, I said sanctification, wrong word, direct sanction of Christ himself. Approved. Everything they did, approved. Because they did it based on what he told them to do. And so when we look at, because, I mean, if you honestly, if you look at, you know, before the, 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 the cross and all of that, what he taught them, what he showed them, it wasn't the complete picture. So how did they get from that to Peter standing up and saying, repent and be back? Like, just un, unfolding the Old Testament in his message and just boom, 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 boom. Revelation after revelation after revelation. This Old Testament scripture, that, I mean, pulled it in. I mean, he stands up and says, Psalm says, let another take his place, and all this stuff. Where do you think he got that revelation from? It was Christ revealing it to him and then being able to then express it out in, in application and in New Testament doctrine that is for us today to live out Jesus' teaching. Because we weren't there with Jesus. We didn't hear his voice. We didn't experience walking with him. He didn't teach us directly. But what he did do is he imprinted it so permanent in those 12 that then they were able to then take it and expand it and, and push it out to this world. And those, that, what they did, how they did it, how they took those, the doctrines of Christ and, and what we can look back to as our example, the book of Acts. The book of Acts. The epistles are some more explanation of these doctrines, but the Acts is how they lived it out. And so if you want to know how to walk with God, if you want to know how to endure hardness and suffering and, and see miracles and pray people through and all of this stuff, go read the book of Acts. And then you can read through Paul's, some Paul's explanation of some of those things in greater detail. But it all starts here. You can't skip that. And so that's where all of this starts. So before we even get to Acts 2, before we even get to the outpouring, before we even get to this... 3,000 added to the church, we, we, get, we are here in Acts 1 um, in this period of time where he says for 40 days he opened their understanding to the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And they take that, they go to Jerusalem, they're then empowered, they have knowledge, revelation, and now they have empowerment, and the two fused together is a spiritual explosion that then rocks the known world. Those things, and that's where it all started. That's the genesis of all of this, is right here. And so Jesus spends this time with them. They're commissioned to go. Jesus is ascended. The disciples are caught staring. Right? I don't know if it was a big rain cloud. I don't know if it was wispy clouds. I don't know. Like, did it swallow? I don't know. It'd be kind of dramatic if it was like a big old rain cloud and he was just like lightning and I don't know. Probably not. But they, the, that season, that, their, that time of, with them ends. Their, their creator is now, their Messiah is now gone. And they said, now it's time to go. 
You have the knowledge. You have the revelation. Go get the empowerment and then go change the world. That's where it starts. And so next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the birth of the church. We'll get into Acts 2 and get into some of the elements of this. But you've got to understand, we have this example that we can look to and have access to the same things. The revelation, the understanding, the empowerment, the combination that our faith connecting with this word then activates all of this stuff and we can live it out just like they did. And so the book of Acts is meant to be our example, again, of how we should live, what we should do, how we should do it, how we should say it, all of it. And we're going to explore that a little bit more in detail as we go through these next lessons the next few weeks. But I would challenge you, if you, if you feel convict, convicted or just challenged to go start read, reading through the book of Acts, do it. I'm doing it. As I'm teaching, I'm doing it because I want this to really soak into my spirit. So if you feel that, read the book, read Acts, study it, and then you can come teach class next week. All right? I'll look for volunteers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside of us that can reveal the hidden truths of your word to us and can allow us to find understanding of things that that God, the, the prophets of old and, and David and all of these men, they hungered for it. They longed for it. They couldn't get it, but they, with us, are made complete. And so if we take it and we do with it what we're supposed to, we make it all worth it for them and for us, God. I pray that you would give us understanding and revelation of this and let us treasure and value the precious gift of your Spirit. God, I pray for every person in this place. I pray I lose revelation and understanding of your word. God, let challenge us to go seek this truth for ourselves. I pray your grace, mercy, and peace upon every person in this place. Go with them, protect them, keep them. I thank you for them and their hunger and their ears to hear your spirit speak. We love you. We trust you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.